This is just a few words to get you on track in your thinking. And this is about God changing his mind or not changing his mind. God doesn't change, and this is his nature. We're teaching about the attributes of God and to understand that God does not change, Malachi 3.6, in his nature. Uh, however, when he works with us, he is flexible, and he can change. Like he, make a, he makes a decision, or he says something that he's going to do, and then, then he can change. And that's amazing, isn't it? So we'll talk about that. I'd like you to look at a couple places. First is in, uh, we're in Numbers 23, when uh, one of the kings surrounding on the outside of, of uh, Israel, or the, actually as the Jews are making their way to the promised land, uh, this Barak, he hired Balaam, a sorcerer slash prophet, to curse the Jews. And Balaam goes to do it, and then he, he speaks, and he is inspired by God to say this. This is Numbers twenty three, nineteen. God is not a man that he should lie, neither son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. So we have the context is important. This is the, in the, as the Jews have come out of Egypt, as they're going to the promised land, this king is saying, no, we need to curse these people. This is uh, interesting because you can come against uh, people militarily or politically, but spiritually to curse them with a spiritual curse isn't generally in our mindset as modern people, but it is a reality to curse with spiritual power, to curse a people. Uh, so the downfall, actually, of Israel was a moral departure from God. But God is saying, uh, I have blessed them, and I will not reverse it. So this is um, God not changing, God not changing. And this is important to us because we have promises from God, and it's a, it's a very bad thing to think that he would make a promise to me and then change his mind about it. I'd, if he promises eternal life, then I'd like to believe him. I want to believe, no matter what I go through, that that promise is sure because of his nature and his character. And that's really what this is saying here. Numbers 23 is really the big picture regarding God and the Jewish people. I will not leave them. I will not forsake them. I will work with them. 
I will be disappointed with them. They will become idolatrous. They will be living immorally. They will be lying and cheating and many other things in their history. But I will not leave them. I have promised Abraham a great nation that will bless all the nations of the world. I have uh, a kingdom coming through the Jewish people, through the Messiah. I have a kingdom coming on earth, uh, and it will happen, and I will not change. So we have Malachi 3.6, God changes not, Malachi 3.6. Now, uh, I want to put down a couple other words here. Rigid, God is rigid, slash flexible. What do you think? He is rigid. It is the way he says. It is true. It is like this. It harmonizes with his nature. That when he says, I am righteous, he means it. I am righteous. So that's, that's very important. And what he promises is sure. That this is the nature of God. This is important. But then the question is, is he flexible? Okay, so let's go to that part. Exodus 32. Exodus 32. This is like a, a Bible theology class today. You came to church to learn something. Ooh, so did I. <laughs> so did I. It's amazing, isn't it, to... to Learn these things to think about them. You know, um, the, the difficult passages of Scripture in this book, is God uh, uh, misogynist? Is he against women? When you read the Bible, do you find violence from God? Do you find God angry? Is God a racist? What do you find in the Scripture? So you... You and I must, God is fascinating. He is, can't put him in a box. He's fascinating. He's very real. You can know him personally. And, and you, you and I love the study of the nature of God. And these people who hammer the Bible and they, they don't know what they're talking about. Because the Bible is not that easily understood. He is not a a racist. He's not a sexist. He is, uh, uh, he is rigid and firm. And then he is so flexible. He is so personal. He is so caring that you influence God. You influence God. You and I have an effect on God. It's amazing. Look at Exodus 32. And the Lord said, verse 9, said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked, what's that? Stubborn, yes, stubborn. Anybody have a stubborn donkey? Moving, stubborn cow. One brother was here one summer. He 
he lost his foot. He lost his leg. He had a artificial foot, you know, because a cow stepped on his foot. He was a farmer. And it was like he couldn't, he was milking the cow, and the cow stepped 1,500 pounds, just stepped on his foot. And just ground, and he couldn't get the cow off of him. And the cow was just, just crushing his foot. He was a great guy. This man was amazing. I love that guy. It was years ago we met him here. And he was in our convention. But he had a great spirit and a great attitude. Stubborn. A stubborn animal, stubborn person, stubborn people. Okay. So the Lord said, Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. But you know, if he did that, he gets rid of all the Jews, and uh, what are you going to You promised Abraham, and you gave Abraham a son by a miracle. And you cannot, and then Joseph in Egypt and the millions that came out, you cannot destroy them. But why is God saying this? Because he is so angry with their sin and their stubbornness. But this is like God. Like God has the attribute of righteousness, but also of mercy. The attribute of truth but he's also looking for help. It looks like he's looking for help from Moses. Like, like change my mind, Moses. Like, talk to me. Intercede. Yeah, be with me and understand me. And yet also, you know, I am flexible. I am flexible. It's a good word. You, here, here it is. It goes, verse 11. Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath wax hot against your people, which you have brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out? It was like a trick. He brought them out to destroy them. Is that what it is? Did you do that? Did you bring them out to destroy them? No. I know you. I know you. No, you didn't do that. And then he says, um, to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce wrath. Repent of this evil against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Now, what does he mean? He's saying the history of these men and your hand in making this nation is is a real thing that you have done. And I am I am here and you will hear me because here's a good thing about this is a fascinating thing about uh, God. What will God obey? What does God obey? He obeys his righteousness. If it's righteous he he will obey it. He will honor his nature, his character. What will he do? He cannot lie. Guys, he cannot disobey righteousness. God cannot lie. Titus 1, 2. 
and he will obey his righteousness. And look at Moses is given the righteousness. So he will obey his righteousness and the righteousness that he gives to somebody. That he is given, that he has given to us. So what does this mean? You. You have his righteousness. So you can pray and say, Lord, I understand. I understand. And you can say, you cannot destroy these people. You cannot. Because that's not your nature. That's not who you are. And it says, the Lord repented. Look at the verse, please. Verse uh, 14. And the Lord repented of the evil he thought to do unto his people. Let's write that word down here and I'll finish up. It says, the Lord repented. And there's another way, another word in English that, that can be used for this. And it is, he relented. He, he, he gave up his, he, he surrendered, he changed, he relented, he gave in to the argument. He, he gave in to it, he changed. That means God is flexible, isn't it? Right? He is he is angry, and yet it says in the scripture, how is it? He's not, what's that, long anger, or he is quick. He is anger, and then what's that? What? He is long-suffering. He is short in his anger. Like he is angry, and yet he has no pleasure in the deaths of the wicked. He will do whatever he can. And in this case, he had Moses interceding. And it looks like a, a planned story for us to understand that God hears us. He works with us. He wants us to respond to him and to take truth in his presence and have an influence on God. That's a beautiful thing. Okay? Amen. Lord Jesus, we pray you could teach us how merciful and kind you are, how gracious, how forgiving, how loving you are, and yet how serious you are about truth. Bless our communion service today and the message in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, is God rigid or flexible, or both? Okay, is God rigid? All right, let's look at that. Turn to Hebrews 7.2, and uh, I, I'd, like you, I'd like to refer you to a book that I really, really uh, like by David Lamb. Actually, um, maybe we can invite him here to be a guest. Uh, it's called, uh, what's the name of it? Uh, 
Hold it. Um, any of you guys like over seven years old, you get like this happens to you too. <laughs> when God behaves badly, when God behaves badly, so you could pick that up if you want. It's the name of the book. When God behaves badly, so He tackles some of these issues, and this is where I, I'm getting my message from. Uh, processing it and thinking of it and meditating on it and I just uh, make sure that I give you that reference all right now uh, uh, but it is my message is you know I get I get seed thoughts from different people pastors books and messages and so on and uh, pray a lot I actually do pray a lot and uh, meditate and, and study a lot. I mean, Saturday morning, about three hours. Uh, and then in the afternoon, maybe three more. Um, I love it. it. It's just awesome. Uh, and I just love the church, love you, love your faith. I had 12 uh, guys in, in the sauna in my house in fellowship uh, Friday night late. And... Um, I love how we're living, what we're doing, what we think. We have CECON happening over in Asia and also Canada. Pastor Love and a team up there. So it's very exciting to hear and to think about the lives of people. Your life is important. Your life is precious. God died for you. God loves you. So... I want you to draw your attention to a verse that has always been, in my mind, fundamental part of my thought, and that is Hebrews seven two, Melchizedek. His name, by interpretation, is King of Righteousness. So I'll write down this word, King of Righteousness. Because I'm, I'm writing down, I, I do it because it slows it down. I want you to think about it, and I think you like to read it, and lo you love my handwriting. Uh, so, king of righteousness, point number one. I mean, you could fly through this material, but I don't know how much of it you will, you will process. So, sometimes that is how preaching happens. It's great. Just, just fire off to just go really, but but this is important. I want you to get this with me. His name Melchizedek means King of Righteousness first, and after it says here in verse two, after that King of Salim, or King of Peace, King of Peace, which comes first, righteousness. That's the point. First, king of righteousness. Now, we live in a culture where it's all about love, your feelings, what you think, your opinion. There's a lot that flexibility is the word of the age, like tolerance, flexibility, compromise, and so on. This is saying, no, God is righteous. And he cannot lie. And nor is he sentimental. Nor is he compromising. Truth is truth. And I've, I find it fascinating that 
when you go to engineering school, you got to do good in math and physics. You got to do good in your engineering course because you cannot lie. If you lie, your airplane will fall out of the sky. If you lie, your building will collapse. If you lie, your automobile will not work. You have to, you have to follow the order, the rules of the universe. You have to be true. But when it comes to the soft sciences, it's all over the place. And it's absolutely weird, compromising and lying. You know, it's like unbelievably wrong. All right, so how is God? He is righteous and also peace, the king of peace, prince of peace, Isaiah 9, 6. So can we get that straightened? Can we get that nailed down? When you are tempted to go compromise with, with sin and just say everybody does it and it's in our culture and don't you know what's going on today and how people are thinking and how they are living. It's like whatever, every age has been like filled with iniquity and sin and unbelief and lying and so on, you know. So uh, I, that, that's understood. The point that I want to make is that we have God, and God is serious. God is holy. God is true, and he cannot compromise. But when we line up with him, we have this amazing peace. There is no peace, saith the Lord, to the wicked. Uh, three times in the book of Isaiah it says that. All right, so th- this is a total, complete message in itself right there. That's, I, I came not to bring peace. What did Jesus say in Matthew 10? I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring what? A sword. A sword to divide a family. A husband and wife and children and to divide the family. Why? Why, why? is God an angry God? Is he against the family? What, why? Why? Because of this. He is a righteous God. And one of the family members is going to be telling the truth and living in the truth, and the other family member will not tolerate that, will not accept it. And there's division in the family. Or a government says you cannot do that, and you say, I have to live with my conscience. The sword is in my heart, in my conscience. I have to live by my conscience. If you, you judge, it's in Acts 5.29, you judge. Should I obey God or man? You decide. That's the humility. You decide what I should do with my conscience. Because I have to stand before God one day. I have to be answering to God and not to you. But then you have Romans 13 where it says, All the time be submitted to the worldly authorities. There's one aspect of it, and we are great citizens, by the way, in history, many leaders, many kings have wanted to have Christians in their, in their kingdom. Even Saddam Hussein, I understood his bodyguards were Christians, not Muslims. They were Christians because he could trust them. You know, not to say you can't trust Muslims or other people. I'm just saying 
that, that in Europe and here, they look at the birth of our country, and there's a lot to be said about it. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so here we go. Turn with me to uh, Isaiah 38 for our message. And with that being said, can God change his mind? Isaiah 38, verse 1. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Well, that's a sad word for, for us who like to live. We like to live and want to live, and it's so, you know, life is ending. So Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall, in verse 2, and prayed unto the Lord. Turned his face to the wall. Have you ever done that, by the way? Have you read this text and been in, bedroom, in your bedroom and you turn your face to the wall? And say a prayer. Yeah. Maybe even thinking you're going to die. He prayed. He said, remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before you in truth with a perfect heart. and have done that which is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add unto your days fifteen years. So, in, in the book of Kings, where are we? In Second uh, Kings, we have Isaiah going in to tell. God had told Isaiah, go tell Hezekiah he's going to die. And Hezekiah, or Isaiah, Isaiah does it, and he leaves. And out here in the courtyard, the Lord has him. He stops Isaiah, and he says, go back and tell Hezekiah he will live. So he turns around, and he goes back, and he says, Hezekiah, the Lord told me you'll have 15 more years. So we have God being like that. Something like us, maybe. Maybe compassion, kindness. He can change. He can. He can change. You can say one thing and then change it. He can. Isn't that amazing? Why does that contradict him? He cannot contradict himself. He is righteousness. But he's also merciful. So he was strictly righteous. Then we have a God, and the judgment is severe. I, I don't think we would even be here today. We'd be in hell for our sin. How the severity of God, the righteousness of God, is real. And it was because of Christ's coming and taking our sin and the righteousness of God being satisfied that he's able to give to us mercy 
and forgiveness. Justify us. Declare us righteous. Because his mercy endures forever. In Psalm 136. Another one. His mercies are new every morning. I, I was thinking this verse recently. I don't know where I, my thought the thought came from, but it is 22 and 23, and it goes like this. New every morning. So that means to me, I believe, that some morning, make up a date, in 1856, in April 3rd, in that year, there was mercy. And that this mercy today was different mercy. It was new mercy. It was new mercy every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Isn't that amazing? The mercies you have today are new and not the same as yesterday. New mercies every day. Great is his faithfulness. So Hezekiah lives 15 more years. There's another one, Mark 7. And this is this work of Jesus when he came to Israel. And a woman was a Greek, verse 26, a Syrophoenician by nation. And she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. And Jesus said unto her, let the children first be filled, for it is not me to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. This is God speaking. God actually, he offends the woman. He offends her. He calls her like a Gentile dog. Is God a racist? No, he isn't. But he can talk like that. Um... Is he kind? Yes, very kind, very gracious, very merciful. But he's also fascinating how real he is. This is the reality of God, the reality in our life, the reality of death and pain and hurt and suffering and sin. He is our God. He's in our world. And he is like rigid In the most important sense, like not changing, his attributes cannot change. And yet, when he is with us, he's like showing us something. I am a personal God. I think I had it here on my list. I had three points here. Where was it? This one. He is fascinating. He is real. He is personal. What does that mean? He wrestled with Jacob, and i got to tell you that story. It's fascinating. Jacob is is sleeping. He's very worried about his brother uh, killing him because Esau said, I'm going to kill you. And Esau was coming from with 400, like an army of 400 men toward Jacob. Uh, like the report was, he got the word that Esau is coming, like he'll be here tomorrow or whatever it was, with a whole band of people, like 400 men, and he's going to kill Jacob. And Jacob is so concerned about it and so worried 
that and he's sleeping and then then God it seems like God attacked him and started wrestling with him because Jacob was like praying in the night uh, but he slept but then also he was lying down and then God like jumped on him and God started to wrestle with Jacob and they had a wrestling match it was a God wrestling match and this is uh, this is like so like in a way very warm for us that the Almighty God, the Creator of the universe, would actually be engaged with us in a wrestling match, and He actually says, "Let me go." God says, "Let me go." This is a what's called in a, the the theology is a theophany or Christophany. This is the, you have these words, I won't write them down, theophany, Christophany, and also you have the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, when you read that, the angel of the Lord, that's Jesus Christ. That's the Old Testament name for him. That's Jesus Christ. That's the Messiah in the Old Testament. Was the Messiah in the Old Testament? Yes, was the Messiah walking with Adam and Eve in the garden? The voice of God was walking in the garden. Who was that? That's Christ. Christ before Bethlehem. Christ was a man before Bethlehem. When he was, um, when he was born in Bethlehem, he became a man, but I'm saying he was the Christ appearing as a person in the Old Testament because he was God and God manifesting himself as a person that he could wrestle, you could wrestle with him. Imagine God wrestling with Jacob, and it was all night. It was all night. Wrestling matches are usually five or seven minutes long. And if you see one in high school or college, they are exhausted. They are soaking wet. They have sweated profusely. They are exhausted, wrestling all night with God. And God says, let me go. And he, Jacob says, no, I'm not going to let you go. Is God rigid or flexible? He's rigid regarding reality. And when it comes to us, he works with us so that we can find reality, that we can relate to it, that we can walk with God in reality, the reality of God in this world. And I like that, that thing, like, it's like I'm a father, <clears throat> and I've wrestled with my children, and I like it, especially the boys and Bethany. You know, Amy didn't like it, but, okay, so... Let me go so I could be on the street, you know, I'm, I mean, on the, on the rug, on the carpet, on the street. I could be on the carpet and just say, uncle, uncle, I'm tapping out, I'm tapping out. And he's like five years old, right? Can he really, can I beat him? I can beat him. Can God beat Jacob? He can beat him, but he doesn't want that. He wants Jacob's heart, Jacob's faith. He wants Jacob in the game. He wants Jacob awake. He wants Jacob to know him. 
He wants Jacob in in the life of God. God wants us in his life, in his ministry. God made us that we would relate to him, and God is tapping out. Let me go, let me go. And Jacob said, not until you bless me. And God said to him, Jesus said, your, your name, what did, remember Jacob said, what is your name? And didn't he say, why do you want to know my name? No, that was Manoah. That was a different story in the book of Judges. What is your name? God said to Jacob, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name will be Israel for you have power. You have power with God and man. Power with God and men. Okay. My point is, this morning, is that the Syrophoenician woman was was really, in a way, slandered, maltreated, not good to be talked to her like that. But Jesus did. Because Jesus is fascinating. Jesus is real. Jesus is personal. And she countered. She didn't get offended and go away and cry about it and and blaspheme Jesus and curse him and, and the whole thing. She no, she she goes, Okay. I want my daughter healed. And I know you can do it. So do it, please. Okay. She said, verse 28, and she answered and said, Yes, Lord, I'll take it. You Go ahead, that's fine. Yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. I can take it. Go ahead. I'll take a crumb. Heal my daughter. And he said, for this saying, go your way. The devil has gone out of your daughter. That's it. (laughs) He changed. Jesus changed. That's our God. Don't misunderstand me. People will not go to heaven. God is not sentimental. That the changing and the working and the grace and the kindness is in this lifetime. And if you don't get it, if somebody unsaved doesn't get it, they will not comply and believe in Christ and be born of God, then there will be no flexibility. There's no way that God can contradict himself. You must be saved by the blood of the Lamb, justified by the grace of God, by believing in the Son of God. You are born of God, and you belong to the family of God, and you have the Spirit of God in you. And because of that, we can see we can see uh, the Lord as a rigid and flexible, true and yet loving and forgiving and kind God. And we love him. And you know, the more you and I learn about him and his attributes, the more we love him. And when we love him, we wake up. It's like the last part, maybe the last point is, 
Awake thou that sleepest. I'll just quote that. That's is it Romans Romans um thirteen uh is it eleven or twelve? It goes to fourteen that text. And it goes like this. There's another one, Ephesians five, fourteen, awake thou that the awake the, um, thou that sleepest. Okay, here it is. Many believers are lethargic. They are. Many believers. Us, we are. We can be. Many times we are. We're sleeping. Awake thou that sleepest, he said. Now, what, what is it? When you're sleeping, you're not, or you're semi-conscious, or you're dull, lethargic, indifferent. A house could be on fire, but you don't know about it or care about it. Uh, somebody's in trouble, but I'm not, I'm not involved. So this is very common state spiritually. There's no fire in our belly, no, no real movement in our heart. But when you find that God says you're going to die and you turn toward the wall and you got tears and you go, no, please, no. And then the Lord changes his mind. And says, you will live another 15. When we find that the Syrophoenician woman gets an answer, when we find we live in the city of Baltimore and we're, we want to be awake to our neighborhood, awake to what is happening in the world, awake to somebody at work, maybe a neighbor, maybe a relative, and I don't mean immediately, but I mean over years maybe, you start to think about somebody not yourself. By somebody else. You start to think about, about somebody else. A one or five or whatever the number or many or, or a nation or you, you start to think you, you are in God's game. Because he's asking us to pray. He's asking us to pray to the Lord of the harvest. He's saying the world is in trouble. I am in it. I am a rigid God. I am a God of truth and reality. My reality cannot flex. I, my reality is reality. But in your world, I will do everything I can. I'm not willing that any man perish. I have no delight in the deaths of the wicked. I have no pleasure in the deaths of the wicked. I love the world. And I, I put my spirit in you, and you are with me in this. And we are. I mean, amen. Okay, pray with me. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, I'm, uh, we're just thankful that we can ask you, you will do it. You will do it. You can answer our prayers. You asked us to ask you. You will do things. Things look bad, but then you can change them. Uh, somebody's sick, but you could heal them. There's somebody lost, but you could save them. There's something bad happening, but please come, come into it and, and help us walk with you and think with you. And roll with you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And then anyone listening who's not a believer yet, this is an invitation to you to come to Jesus today. Come to Jesus today. Don't put it off. 
Don't put it off. You do not know what a day will bring. You don't know what will happen tomorrow. Remember the story about the farmer up in Maine where we were, we had our church and, and he was, he, he was visited and, and, uh, the ministers went to the farm and he was arrogant and everything and, and refused and was cursing and all. And then the next day his tractor rolled over on him and he was killed. How, how possible it is that a day I never thought this would happen to me. I never thought this would be the end of my life. I don't put it off. Come to Jesus today. And then as believers, may we, may we be in the game, Lord. Help us to be in the game in, in, of life with you. In Jesus' name, amen.